0: listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, so this weekend, anniversary weekend, I wanted to blend our anniversary weekend with our series in the Sermon on the Mount. But in order to do that, I had to, if, you'll, if for those of you that are really highly organized and detailed and you like things to be in order, you're gonna have to bear with me today. Because I have to go out of order. When I preached on the Transfiguration two weeks ago, it was kind of a last minute decision and I totally threw my sermon schedule out of whack. So last week we talked about the passage at near the end of chapter five about turning the other cheek. Well, this weekend would have been naturally the weekend I preach on loving your enemies. But I'm going to postpone that till next week, and I'm going to take the passage that would have been next week at the front of chapter 6, and we're going to pull it into this weekend. Because in that passage, Jesus deals with the issue of giving. And I thought, well, we're having this legacy offering on this Sunday at the end of this sermon. It's going to be our legacy offering. And I thought, man, what, what better weekend to preach on giving than, than this particular weekend. So that's what we are going to do uh, today. So let's look at our passage This morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus pulls two phrases from the world of Greek theater. You know, when we think of theater and dramatic productions, plays, all of that was really developed and popularized by the Greeks. It comes to us from the world of Greek theater. And Jesus takes two phrases that come from that cultural element in ancient Greece, and he he puts them in this passage. The first one is what we see in verse 1. When he says, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen. That phrase right there literally means as a form of theater. So he's saying, don't do your acts of righteousness as a form of theater. And then the second phrase that he uses is in verse 2, when he says, as the hypocrites do. Now, it's very interesting. That word hypocrite is literally a Greek word untranslated, Hypocrite is a Greek word. We've anglicized it, but it's a Greek word. And it refers to an actor on a stage, specifically an actor who wears a mask. You know, in the Greek theater in ancient Greece, they would, the actors would wear masks. Depending on if it's a tragedy or a comedy, they would wear masks to express the different you know, uh, roles that they were playing. So you put all that together. Jesus is saying, don't do your acts of righteousness as a form of theater like an actor on stage or on the screen. Now, I want to give you a brief historical note that I think you're going to find interesting that'll, that'll add some color to this passage. Somebody tell me, what was the occupation of Jesus' father, Joseph, and, and as he was training his sons, what was the trade, the craft, that Joseph had made his vocation? Somebody tell me out loud. Carpenter. carpenter. The word carpenter comes from the Greek word tecton. Now, we translate it carpenter. Here's the problem with that. When we think of the word carpenter, we picture somebody working with wood, someone sawing wood. In ancient Israel, they didn't have a whole lot of wood. They didn't build things with wood. If they were constructing a building, they didn't build a wooden frame. They didn't have a lot of that. They still don't have a lot of that today. But in the ancient world, what they would have built things out of is a material that would have been very plenteous in Israel, and that is stone. And actually, the word tecton just refers to someone who's building. They're a construction worker. And so when you think of Joseph and his sons, and including Jesus as he's training them up in this trade, think of them more like stonemasons. And Jesus, his family, lived in a tiny, minuscule village called Nazareth. Now today, Nazareth is a pretty sprawling city, nice-sized city. Back then, it would have been a tiny town of about two or three hundred people. Not a lot of work in Nazareth. Not a lot of buildings being constructed in Nazareth. But just a short walk from Nazareth in the, in the next town over was this major, growing, populous, Greek-influenced city called Sepphoris. Everybody say Sepphoris. And Sepphoris was booming, lots of work in Sepphoris. So if you're a stonemason in Nazareth, you're probably not going to be doing a lot of work in Nazareth. You're probably going to be walking over to Sepphoris every day, and that's where you're working. That's where all the work is. And there was a major building project that was happening. I want to show you a picture of this. This is the remains of an ancient, the ancient Greek theater there in Sepphoris. Historians tell us, that this theater that you're looking at was constructed during the decade leading up to what would have been the public launch of Jesus' ministry. So could it be possible that Jesus and his father and his brothers were actually part of the large crew that actually worked on constructing this very theater? We don't know that for sure. We have no way of knowing it. But it's very possible and very probable. But at the very least, what we do know is that this major Greek city with this landmark theater was within eyesight of Jesus where he grew up in nearby Nazareth. So Jesus was very, very, very familiar with the concept of Greek theater. And he says, this is not the way to go about practicing your righteousness as a hypocrite. Now let's talk for a moment about hypocrisy. Because I think this is something that many people misunderstand hypocrisy, listen, I think this is going to help you. Hypocrisy is not simply failing to live out all that you confess to believe. That's called being a human. Let me give you an example. How many of you believe generally you just believe in the practice of giving mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So how many believe that's generally a good way to go about life? I want to see your hands if you really believe that. And I don't want to be around the rest of you. All right. So most of us believe in giving mercy. The rest of us need some spiritual formation, but most of us believe in that. But how many of you who raised your hands can be honest and say, you know what? There have been times in my life where I haven't always lived up to that. I haven't given mercy the way I should have in certain moments of my life, right? That doesn't qualify you as a hypocrite. It qualifies you as a sinner, and praise God, because there's grace for sinners, and we understand how that works. So I confess to believe in something. I, I, I set a standard for my life, and, and there are times where I don't measure up, and I don't live up to that standard. That does not make me a hypocrite. That's just, that just means failure, and we all experience that. Here's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is practicing religion as a form of theater, Or you might say it like this, hypocrisy is spirituality as a role that we act out, that we play out. Now, I don't think anybody here consciously aspires to be a hypocrite. I would say all of us here, to some degree, we're here on a Sunday morning because we're interested in being a disciple of Jesus. Well, watch this. Hypocrisy And discipleship share something in common. Both Christian hypocrisy and Christian discipleship, they are both efforts to imitate Jesus. The hypocrite imitates Jesus as a role that they play. The disciple seeks to imitate Jesus because they want to be transformed in that same image think of it like this. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about someone like Saint Francis of Assisi. You know, Saint Francis of Assisi lived about 900 years ago, lived this incredible, inspirational life. And and you know, they've made many movies about Saint Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've watched a movie about Francis. And and, and if you're going to make a movie about Francis of Assisi, you've got to find an actor to play that role, right? Well, watch this. The difference between hypocrisy and discipleship is the difference between someone who imitates Francis as a role that they play for the sake of an audience and someone who imitates Francis because they're interested in being like him. It's a difference between an actor playing him and someone who actually joins a Franciscan monastery. I wanna show you this picture on the screen. Um, So you see the guy on the left side of the screen. This is an actor who's playing the role of Saint Francis of Assisi. But the guy on the right of the screen is actually a Franciscan monk. Now, when you compare these two individuals, there's a lot that they have in common. They're both wearing brown robes with a rope belt and sandals. They have both memorized lines that come to us from St. Francis of Assisi. They've both memorized prayers of Francis of Assisi. In fact, you can say that both of them actually pray the prayers of Francis. The difference though is that one of them is doing it for the sake of an audience. The actor says, and action, and he bows his head, Lord, blah 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 blah, blah. Amen. Cut and he's done. But the guy on the right side of the screen, he will pray those same prayers whether there's an audience or not. Because for him, his true audience is his father who sees and knows in secret. So you see the difference. It can be confusing because they're both doing the same stuff. They both look exactly the same. But the actor is playing and imitating St. Francis for the sake of of those who are going to watch the movie. The monk is imitating St. Francis just because he wants to be like him. And that's the difference between imitating Christ as a hypocrite and imitating Christ as a disciple. Now, in this passage that Jesus gives, he uses the example of someone who is about to give alms, give to the poor. They're about to give an offering in the temple treasury, and as they're doing so, they play a trumpet to draw attention to themselves. Now, I've, I've studied this, and I cannot find out whether or not people actually did this or whether Jesus is using some exaggeratory humor in order to drive home his point. I, I tend to think hopefully it was, it was the latter, but I don't know. Maybe people actually did that. Like they're about to go to the black box and give their offering, and they got and draw attention to themselves. I don't know. Seems strange. But whether or not people actually did this, I do know That people can do things like this, particularly as it relates to the practice of giving and generosity. In my former church um, that I pastored for eight years, there was uh, one time there was this guy who was kind of new to our church. And during the week, I was out on the town, and somehow or another, we had crossed paths, and he came up to me and he said, Hey, Pastor Ryan, uh, did you get that $1,000? I said, $1,000? I don't think so. And he said, yeah, I put $1,000 in the offering last Sunday. Did you get it? I said, I, I didn't get it. I don't get that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know or care what people give. That's between you and God. But no, I didn't get that. He said, I just, I just mean like did the church get it? And I said, well, did you put it in the offering bag? He said, yes. I said, well, I'm sure we got it. You know, that's how it works. You put it in the offering bag and we tend not to lose it or drop it. And we have a pretty efficient system, you know. Now, I, I knew what was happening. I, I was just too stubborn to play along. But eventually, just to move the conversation forward, I just said, well, thank you for your gift. I appreciate you uh, giving in the offering. But you see, that's kind of the thing what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying if, if you're giving or if you're doing anything for the sake of a human audience, in order to be noticed, in order to get attention, mission accomplished. You wanted attention, you got it. You wanted to get noticed, you got noticed, and that's that. But the disciple is someone who may get noticed. They may get noticed, but that's never the motive. Now watch this. I, this is a very simple but important distinction. A disciple will give, will pray, will worship, will do anything, first and foremost, because God is that way. So The disciple says, I'm going to give, number one, because God is generous, and I am a disciple of the most generous being that exists. The first motive of giving is not even to help somebody, as wonderful as that is, to help the church or to further the kingdom. That's not the first motive of giving. The first motive of giving, the first motive of serving, the first motive of praying and worship and all of this stuff is because I want to be more like Jesus. I'm obsessed with Jesus, and I want to conform to his character, and this is the path that Jesus gives me to embrace that kind of life. That's the first motive. Then the second motive is to help the church help people and further the cause of Christ. But nowhere in there is there any kind of motive to gather attention. So the question is not, who is noticing my performance? The question is, who am I becoming? And am I becoming like my master? Now, we live in LA, or specifically here in Burbank, the media capital of the world, just a few minutes away is Hollywood. And so there's a lot of entertainment stuff that's going around. and so I want you to imagine, imagine you're attending a theatrical performance. You're at some type of theater around here and you're watching a play. Let's just call it Romeo and Juliet. So you're in the audience, you're watching Romeo and Juliet. And the actor who's playing Romeo, somewhere in the middle of the play, flubs his lines. Like just forgets his lines, stumbles over them multiple times. And as the audience, it it just kind of makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Or even worse, let's say Romeo is walking across the stage and he trips over his own feet and falls flat on his face. And for the audience, you just kind of groan. You know, I mean, obviously you hope the guy's okay, but it just makes you cringe because this is a performance and you want it to be pristine and perfect. You know, you're suspending disbelief and you want to be immersed in the story. And when stuff like that happens, it just disrupts that whole dynamic, Now watch this, what we're doing day after day as village church, this is not a performance, this is real life. And to the degree that we understand that as a church, and to the degree that we are not hypocrites, then when one of us stumbles and says, I blew it, I messed up, I had a standard that I failed to live up to, and I fell on my face, none of us has to be embarrassed about that. Because as James says, we all stumble in many ways. And what do we do? We pick one another back up, and we move forward with our lives. Because we understand it's not a performance. It doesn't need to be perfect. We are all students in this school learning to be more like our master. And we just understand there's going to be times we're not going to get it right. And that's all part of the journey. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's look at this passage one more time. Verse 1. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, now that's alms is when you give to the needy. And I want you to notice, he says, whenever you give alms. He doesn't say, if you give alms. He assumes as a disciple, this is one of the things we're gonna be doing. Whenever you give alms, Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, again, when, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, all of that's fine, but there's a problem. If we back up to chapter 5 in the same sermon, look at what Jesus says earlier in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Hmm. So in 5.16, Jesus says, let your good works be seen by others. But in 6.1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen. So did Jesus forget what he just said? Is he contradicting himself? Is that, is that what's going on? No, 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 no. no. But how do we make sense of this? How do, we, how do we make sense of this apparent contradiction? It works like this. Righteousness needs to be seen, but not for the sake of being seen. Or I could say it like this. Righteousness needs to be hidden, not from others, but from ourselves. That's where you get this part about your left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing. There's a lack of self-consciousness about what I'm doing. For those of you that are moms and dads, if you remember back when you taught your children how to ride a bicycle, you, 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 you have the back of the bike seat and you, you got the handlebar in your left hand and you're on the sidewalk and you're pushing them forward, guiding them, and then you let go. And, and so the child's riding down the sidewalk and they're getting excited and they're thinking about pedaling. They're thinking about, you know, steadying the handlebars. And, and all of a sudden they start thinking, wow, look at me. I'm riding this bike. And then what happens next? Crash, right? Because they're so self-conscious about what they're doing. But the more you master the skill of riding a bike the more it becomes ingrained. It just flows and you don't even think about it. It's the same thing eventually with driving a car. It's the same thing with any skill, like skiing or playing a guitar. The more you do it, it just gets ingrained into who you are and it naturally flows out of you. And, and you play the guitar, you play the piano, you go skiing and you're not even thinking about every little move. It just, there's a profound lack of self-consciousness about what you're doing. In the same, In the same way, As we journey with Jesus, Jesus will form us into generous, kind-hearted, others-oriented people. And as we become those kinds of people by the power of the Spirit and in our cooperation with the disciplines, as we become those kinds of people, we give naturally. It just flows out of us. We can't help it because it's who we are. Jesus has formed us into these kinds of people. And so there's a lack of consciousness about what we're doing. Now, in being generous and giving, you may, in fact, be known for that. You may, in fact, be recognized. In fact, in that verse we just read a moment ago, Jesus assumes that you will. And in fact, he doesn't seem to think that's all of a bad thing. He kind of wants it to be seen. But your deeds need to be hidden from yourself. Think about Mother Teresa, who passed away a few years ago. Mother Teresa was famous all over the world for her acts and deeds of righteousness. But she was not a hypocrite because you can say her left hand didn't know what her right hand was doing. There was a deep profound, there wasn't this this sense of self-consciousness, like, look at me, wow, I'm helping the poor. Now, she became world famous, but it was never because she was playing to a crowd. She just did it because it flowed out of who she was. And it was so extraordinary and so beautiful that just organically we became aware of it. And we became inspired by it. But a huge reason for why we were so inspired by her is because we just instinctively knew that she's not doing this as a hypocrite. She's doing this, it's just flowing out of who she is as someone who's seeking to imitate her beautiful savior. And I'm sure that in time, there are gonna be movies made about Mother Teresa. And at some point, they're gonna to have to find an actress who can per- portray Mother Teresa and her life. But there's a huge difference between playing the role of Mother Teresa in a movie and then actually joining the Sisters of Mercy in Calcutta, India. You understand? So here's the last part of the sermon. How do we lose this sense of self-consciousness as we practice the habit of giving? How do we lose that, that sense of wow, look at me, or please look at me? How do we lose that? That's a tricky thing. Certainly we don't lose it by trying really hard not to think about ourselves. Okay, everybody here, everybody here right now, don't think about yourself. Don't think about yourself, don't think about yourself, don't think about yourself. What are you thinking about? Yourself. You can't can't not think about something by thinking about what you're not gonna be thinking about. That's a cycle that's impossible to get out of. The way we do it is we fix our attention upon something else. I was reading just a couple days ago. This will not be on the screen, but I'm just putting it in my sermon last minute. I was reading in Luke 11 at the very end where the Pharisees, you know, they call out Jesus because he's eating a meal without doing the purification ritual and washing his hands, and so they're all upset. And I want you to see what Jesus does here. In verse uh, 39, it says, "Then, Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed. Everybody say greed. greed. So that's the problem he identifies in them. They're full of greed. And notice what Jesus does when he instructs them how to move forward. He says, fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? Watch this. So clean the inside how? How do we clean ourselves of greed? He says, clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. So if we want to be purified and cleansed of greed and self-focus and, and that kind of neediness, the way we do that, Jesus says, is we put our attention on somebody else. It's through the practice of giving. Giving is a formational practice. It's a spiritual discipline. And so the reason why we give, number one, is because God is the most generous being that exists. And we want to look more and more like Jesus. And what Jesus says is that the practice of giving is one of those formational practices that helps us become more and more like him. And then finally, we give in order to help other people and further the cause of Christ. But there's never any motive, no trace of motive, to give for the sake of being seen for an audience. Jesus does not want you to be an actor on a stage. He wants you to be a disciple. And when you become a disciple, the amazing thing that happens is that you you lose that sense of self-consciousness, that obsessive worry about what other people are thinking of you, and you're now empowered to become your true self, who you are in Christ. And to be saved from what other people think of me, that alone is a salvation worth having. Amen? So we're gonna close this morning, and I'm gonna ask Daniel to come to the platform. We're gonna close with our our legacy offering. I've been telling you about this these last few weeks. You know, we've celebrated... Um, what God has done, we've celebrated. What God is doing, and we're also looking ahead, looking forward, to the legacy that we're leaving here at Village Church on our 77th year of existence. And so, I just want to get, once again want to tell you the three prongs that this offering, every penny of it's going to go to one of these three things. Number one, we're investing in our church campus. You know, we want to redo our steeples. We want to uh, invest in our our preschool, the playground, um, other things. Secondly, we want to invest in our local community. We have a variety of projects that you're going to be hearing about this year, local outreach, and then thirdly, global projects. Many of our missionaries are here, and as projects arise, we'd love to be able to just write a check instantly and and make that happen. So this is the one weekend of the year that we're going to ask you to give way above and beyond what you might normally give. There are different ways that you can give. Uh, number one, somewhere around your seat there's a white envelope. Maybe you're not prepared to give today. You can take that envelope home with you and mail that to us or get that to us somehow uh, within the next couple weeks and we'll make sure that gets where it needs to go. You can also give online. You can mail in the offering or we have our black boxes all around our auditorium and the balcony on the floor. And before you leave, you can drop it in. Just make sure you don't blow your trumpets before you do so. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.